I'm reading this morning from 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Wives, in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This morning we're continuing our series looking at First Peter. It fills the headlines of Sunday newspapers and magazines like Hello Magazine or OK. It might be a footballer, a pop star, a politician the latest celebrity from Love Island or the social influencer from Twitter, Snapchat or Instagram. Not their public image, not how good they are at football, rugby, cricket, singing, fashion, etc. No, what we want to know is this. What are they really like at home? Who is the person behind the personality, the reality behind the image? Our culture craves the kiss and tell revelation of the one night stand. The hypocrisy of a politician, pop star, celebrity or even a church leader revealed for what and who they really are. We're desperate to go through the keyhole and find the truth behind the carefully cultivated image of the rich and famous. In his letter to this group of early Christ followers in northern Turkey, Peter is determined to help the Christians, surrounded by a culture that was as suspicious and hostile to this newly emerging faith community, to live lives that are both distinctively different and deeply attractive. And he knows the key is not so much what they're going to preach from their pulpits, but who they really are behind closed doors. In order to understand what Peter is saying in these verses and why he's saying it, we need to understand the culture of the Middle East in the first century AD. Household codes were common in Greek, Roman and Jewish culture. They laid out how people in various roles in society should behave, as order in the household was seen as the foundation of the state. To threaten change to this social order was to appear revolutionary, rebellious and dangerous. Peter doesn't simply affirm the status quo, however, the accepted social norms. 
Rather, he challenges the early Christians to be subversive, not by violent revolution, but by living lives of revolutionary love. His aim is clear in chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives, he says, amongst the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Last week, Libby showed us how Peter challenged some of the Christians who were slaves to lead Jesus-shaped lives, including the way of suffering. Just as Jesus endured suffering on the way to the cross, so Christians should expect to live lives that follow the same pattern. Well, in this morning's passage, he continues to challenge different groups of Christians with the same call. Wives, husbands, and then the whole church. Firstly then, verses 1 to 6, wives who are Christians. Now, like Paul's words in Ephesians 5, these verses have provoked some debate and consternation. Is Peter really allowing husbands to control their wives, ordering them around, telling them what to do, always having the final say? There is no doubt that sadly verses like them and others in the New Testament have been misused to justify all sorts of abusive behaviour by men and to subjugate the role of women in the home, in the church and in society generally. But that was never Peter's original intention. His intent was to provoke social transformation, not female subjugation. The cultural norm was that women had no rights in society. They were the property of their husbands, expected not to have their own friends, for example, expected to follow their husband's choice in deciding which god or god should be worshipped. To be independent meant their husband's prosperity, status, career path and public image would be damaged and so would theirs also. If the woman had become a Christian and didn't follow her husband, then she would be perceived as rebellious, disobedient, and worst of all, dishonoring. Even today in the Middle East, the importance of the culture of honor is something that we in the West struggle to really understand. Peter urges these Christian women to live Jesus-shaped lives, and just as Jesus submitted to God the Father and served us by dying on the cross, Verse 1, in the same way, he urges wives to submit, respect, and honor their husbands. Why? That, he says, they may be won over without words. This is a missional challenge, not a command to be subservient for its own sake. I remember a woman called Elizabeth becoming a Christian at a church I worked at. We did the equivalent of the Alpha course, and she'd become a Christian. But her husband remained understandably suspicious. After a few months, he demanded to see the vicar. What have you done to my wife, he asked. She's so nice. Within a few months, he too had become a Christian. One, in Peter's phrase, won over without words. But then Peter addresses Christian husbands in verse 7, and he continues to be countercultural. In the same way, he says, the same phrase as verse 1, he tells the husbands that they have responsibilities, not just rights. It was unheard of in household codes in the ancient world. He tells them, be considerate, treat your wives with respect. Paul spells it out in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, i.e. be willing to die for them. And then Paul addresses the whole church in verses 8 to 12. There are echoes here of Philippians chapter 2 and Colossians 3. Live lives of revolutionary love. Be united, sympathetic, literally be gutted for each other. Love one another, be compassionate, show practical love, be humble. And with people who aren't Christians yet, don't look for revenge, but bless them. In short, live Jesus-shaped lives. Whether you're a slave, a wife, or a non-Christian husband, a Christian husband, or part of the church. 
It should be the quality of our relationships that set us apart. Not defending or claiming our rights, not with shows of religion or super-spirituality, but with love-filled, grace-shaped, compassion-driven relationships that love the socks off people and win them over without words. As we come out of lockdown, will these characteristics characterize your relationships and mine? Will people look at the church and think, here are people who live differently in their marriages, in their relationships, in the workplace? Are we living those lives of revolutionary love? In order to do that, we need to pray.